Welcome to the Progressive Practice Podcast, social performance practice at the core of the energy transition. This first season is funded by the Tentrans Research Project. This episode is a conversation with Bianca Jordan, who works as an ED manager in the renewable energy industry in South Africa. Bianca has been working in social investment and in the South African industry for many years and holds tons of practical experience. Her experience as a young person in the space offers rich insights into what works. She is driven by her passion for community upliftment. This is a fast-paced and practical conversation full of gems. Hi Bianca, um, thanks so much for joining us and having this conversation with us. Um, I asked this to all our guests, so I'd like to know um, how are you doing, where are you locked down and is it sunny where you are? Sure, so... Um, I'm a bit offy-ish this morning, just have a bit of a weird dummy thing going on, but keep shining, so I'm good, so don't worry, good energy. Um, I'm locked down in Cape Town, a bit sad about it, because I'm at home being Joburg. Um, The weather is, sure, one thing I'll never get over Cape Town, so many seasons in one day, like I woke up, the sun was shining, and now it's raining, so <laughs> it's a rainy day, so rainy morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is just miserable all around in Cape Town today. I'd like to know from you, how did you get into social performance? Could you just tell us the story, the short story of your career? Okay. Um, you must please also bear with me if you know me well. I don't know how to answer in short. Um, so this is just my short version. Um, so it's, it was quite actually interesting that my mom um, was working at a, a HIV clinic. And at that time, it was when HIV just was, I don't want to say found, but it was when it was like the buzz happening in, um, in the early 2000s. And she was trying to encourage me to say, come volunteer, volunteer. It's going to look good for your CV one day. And I, that for me was my intro into social performance because um, I started then working with kids in the clinic, started reading for them. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's just where my spark started in um, um, being interested in it. And then um, I studied um, very interestingly politics and economics. And I thought I would become a politician, but then I realized, no, it's, it's, I don't have the good connections for that. <laughs> Um, and then in economics, I really started loving economic development. Um, and then my career just grew into that where I started doing consulting work for mines. Um, and I've always worked in whether it's mines, renewable energy, consulting, etc. Um, it would vary whether it's LED, CSI, etc. But that's yeah, short version of my career. Yeah. Sure. Wow, so you started in an HIV clinic as, as a volunteer and then you found your way all the way to yes. big, big large-scale operations. That connects a few dots for me in my mind. And maybe it, it also links to the second question. <laughs> um, I wonder. We, we've been observing you as, as, as really an outstanding personality um, and practitioner, of course, in the industry, in the renewable sector from, from where, we've, where we met you. Um, you're always engaged, you're awake to new possibilities and just like such an awake mind. And we would love to tap into that inquisitive mind of yours, which is so, so interested in, in deriving benefit for, for the wider, for the for society, for everyone. And if we may ask, what has enabled you to be a critical thinker to this degree and what fuels your passion for the work you do? 
Sure, gosh, I've got lots of different answers to that. Um, I think the first one is that your job needs to also be your passion. So um, that will drive you to go that extra mile. And I really believe that you can't be working in any social performance sector um, without being passionate about it. Because um, I had a little, started to deviate very shortly. I had a break in my career where I worked doing some research and strategy. And I really just didn't like it because yes I learned about the tools the theories etc um, but I really miss the people connect so in that for me was where my real reflection was that like yes I'm in a nice company good opportunities but there's something that's missing I I wasn't driven to go that extra mile so for me what really fuels me is the passion it's really really the passion um, about like working with communities and if I can be really honest with both of you I think a part of it comes from coming from a disadvantaged background and um, I don't want to sound cliched in any way because um, I didn't grow up in a in like, let's say a broken home or I didn't um, grow up where there wasn't food etc but I was surrounded by it so I was surrounded by it with neighbors um, with extended family etc and what my parents always instilled in me was that education is is my tool and it was their tool also to break that barrier and not saying that it's for everyone because definitely not saying we must all go to university and get degrees um but for me that just really drove my passion to be like just empower my mind like study this like look at education differently it's not just about like an exam etc it's about an opportunity to broaden my mind um that's why personally I'm not very good in subjects like mathematics because there's one answer <laughs> um, or like science um I like um where they like write the essay and then you can just like apply your mind and go a bit crazy and come with different theories um so I think yeah it's also I must give credit to be very honest to my parents who from a young age just um educated us about reading about like holidays like we grew up with you won't believe we got dstv when i was 24 years old i'm um, still in my parents house because my parents were like you need to read and they made it fun also so it didn't feel like an activity or like a chore and even as a small example like uh, my parents are quite religious um so even when we read the bible it would be like what are you getting from this what are you critically thinking about from this verse that we read um even when we went to church on a sunday afterwards we debated the sermon afterwards so um those yeah that's i think what really fueled me and what makes me stand out a bit is that i'm also not shy to ask things with I always like saying sorry if it's a silly question even though it's not necessarily a silly question but yeah I hope that gives um I don't try to do long answers but hope that gives a bit of a background just in terms to where I believe uh, my passion comes from yeah and and within the renewable energy sector and the ED you know scope could, could you take us a bit deeper into your perspective, um, like share a bit of your insights into what you personally see happening in the sector? So what's, what's emerging for you? What are you excited about? Um, what do you think about when, when you think about the renewable energy industry from an economic development uh, perspective? Sure, okay. 
Um, I must be very, very honest is that I don't really read up about renewable energy every day. So if you would ask me what's the latest government clause or buzz, I'll be very honest. I don't know. <laughs> but um, just to be honest, just from what I've seen being emerged from being in meetings in different platforms such as this, is that I think that col collaboration has taken a very interesting turn um, due to COVID-19. So I know that there was various platforms platforms where um, whether it was through SWEA, etc., that we were always talking about collaboration. We'd have all these different sessions um, and there would be papers, etc. And um, I just felt when I was attending those sessions that something was missing, like the message was there, but like the implementation wasn't there. Um, but in COVID, like things just changed. And what I found is this is a new exciting trend. So if I can personally share like in the Northern Cape a few um, IPPs we get together every Wednesday. Now we're doing every second Wednesday. Um, it's led by Titania from Mainstream um, and we're just discussing, we're brainstorming and there's no format to it because before we were chatting every second day, then it became every week and now it's every second week. And like she connected me to say, um, maybe start working with the education district in Namakwa, even though I'm not in that area, but they've got some nice theories, tools, ways of working that they're working with. Um, so I think that's COVID has really, I think, given the industry a fresh look um, in terms of collaboration and really meaningfully doing it. Um, so I see that as an interesting trend and perspective at the moment. Um, definitely, I think it's an industry that at the moment, um, with round four, um, where things are a bit interesting, just sharing from my own perspective, um, is now actually being at an IPP and physically seeing that transition from construction into, into operation and seeing... Um, if I can be honest, still something that is a bit sad for me that um, um, like seeing that communities are still angry, seeing that they're still thinking that, oh, why don't we have enough jobs still? Um, so, yeah, I think there's still a lot of work to be done in the industry, but um, definitely what excites me um, is is seeing this trend of collaboration and I think COVID really helped as well just to connect us more like that WhatsApp group that Hala, I think Hala started it, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> that WhatsApp group like now I can just scroll and check oh I didn't have this person's number and yeah definitely excited um, at the moment and hoping that it's some positive things that will happen with collaboration. Yeah. Mm, thank you for sharing those are such such incredible insights and yeah it is it is such a stunning um and i just to experience and live through this pandemic and to witness what it does to all facets of life and and work of course same for us also we would not have probably started a podcast i'm not sure if we would have well we did have the idea but i don't know if we would have actually implemented it <laughs> um it's you've spoken a bit about um some of the changes you saw um, maybe emerging as a response to COVID, sort of where it brought people and practitioners closer together, companies even, and all of a sudden learning was very rapid and, and much easier possible maybe because boundaries were broken down due to necessity almost. Uh, we didn't wait for like a formal workshop to get together, but actually you had to make a plan now to find food parcels and service providers or whatever it might be. I wonder 
in your view, like how, what will last maybe? And, and what, where can we be more courageous? What needs to change further? Any, any thoughts? Quite an open question. Sure. Um, I, I may sound like a stuck record, Olo, and that's mean because these are things that are always coming up in, in workshops, but I think that the main challenge has always been that all of us know the theory. We all know what needs to be done. We all know what's necessary for implementation, but it's about actually actually doing it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's the doing it, the actually showing up every second week for a meeting. Um, so I think for me, um, if my key insight would be that it really takes special individuals to run with things and be consistent. So in the specific example, if I could reflect on Titania, or I think a title is ED Director for Mainstream. I speak under correction. Um, but she was so um resilient in in it you know like every week she would set up these meetings even if it was literally just her team pitching up she carried on and she sent the minutes to everybody and it's been like these are the minutes this is what's happening and we continued so we continue whether one pitches up or whether 20 pitches up so um and whoever falls off the wagon if you could say in those terms who stops participating then they fall off but we just continue and continue and continue so um yeah i think that that would would it's it's really an individual's passion if i can be really honest i don't even think it's about leadership um but it's just about being persistent to be like, I'm going to do this. I'm definitely going to continue with this. And um, no matter who attends, who doesn't attend, I'm still going to continue with it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's almost leadership and in, in, individual leadership, no? What you feel yes. driven and, yes. and, and, and called to do. If you show up for that calling and you continue, you actually shed, like you, you show a light towards something you really strongly believe is is, is the way forward and collaboration is one of the huge um, moments in the industry or opportunities in the industry to really scale up impact and to, to foster practice and all those things we can do together more easily and faster. Definitely. So, <laughs> it seems in the conversations we've been having that um, there's of course on the one hand the, the capacity a person comes with and it comes through the uh, through growing up, through who you are, I don't know, your ancestors, all the way no, to, <laughs> to your education. But then there's also um, sort of an enabling environment that needs to be in place within companies. And in, in some instances, um, the type of organization and, and, and how, how you are in, enabled or, 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 or restricted maybe in, in, in doing the work and following this calling. Can I ask you a question about... Um, what what you see being important for a practitioner to be empowered? Um, for me, um, sure. This is going to come from a personal space um, and I want to really reflect on a conversation I actually had with a former um, colleague and we were talking actually nearly about the same topic where um, we were both reflecting because the two of us have both moved on and we're literally talking about the same thing like what is empowers you, what enables you and we both actually came to this conclusion which was a, a bit of an aha moment for me um, two days ago that it's about having the space to be listened to. 
Um, and for me, I think that when I reflect on it is really what's enabling, empowering, what gives me that oomph to take things to the next level. And there's a difference for me between having a space that you can be listened to versus your, your thoughts, your opinions being action, for example. So, for example, what I mean by that is that you could totally disagree with me and we can go with your way, but can we listen to each other? Can you maybe hear my views that um I feel a bit uncomfortable about X because of X, Y, Z, etc. Um, so for me, without having that space where you can be very open and honest and um to be like, can you listen to what my thoughts are on development, on SED, on etc. Um, I think that has really enabled me um, to thrive. Um, and then again, to be really honest, it's on those small on those small things because I think for me, um, development practitioners, we work in a very emotional space. Um, and some days it's really, really just heavy. So I'm really even going to be honest, the rest of the day, I'm going to sleep, to be very honest, because I feel a bit heavy because I'm dealing with... Um, communities who are who are um, i don't want to say angry or but maybe dissatisfied with late payments which is out of my hands um who i'm dealing with for example a student whose payment um went to the wrong account etc and i just feel like um i need to take a step back to just reflect and then just sleep wake up and boom start again um to be fresh but if you don't have an employee who under employer sorry who understands that who is expecting you to be there every second of every minute um that can also cripple you because can you imagine that if i'm feeling so low maybe for a good a good word or feeling so but maybe um demotivated right now i'm gonna put that energy on whoever i'm engaging with not with you guys but i mean with with if i'm engaging with let's say finance etc um so really i think it's the small soft subtle things that can really enable um ed practitioners or whatever practitioner with it sustainability etc to to really take things to the next level yeah you know what that reminds me so much of what ellison um uses in in the workshop and she facilitates group processes and discussions which is this methodology time to think which really foregrounds yes. that you need to be listened to and the quality of your thinking depends on the quality of the listening you've been you've been gifted yeah very true. Very, very does that true. in does that in your work also play out in in community settings in engagements or your approach of working with community? Um, I'm not trying to blow my own horn here, but um, I definitely myself and my colleague um Lux who um implement our like stakeholder engagements, we do use that approach. Um, I must be very honest, the two of us, our hard moment was when we attended that workshop last year, April, um, which and which was the first time I actually met you and Alison. And so we just like steal all your methodologies <laughs> in how you facilitate. Um, and I think for me that it had to be a mind shift change, to be honest, because it's so easy to go into the communities and to be overwhelming, especially to be honest with a personality like me. I love talking and I often forget that 
I need to be quiet and listen. So I really try to implement small techniques like like just listening. Like I remember in all workshops I've attended where you just listen. You're not allowed to lead. You're not allowed to say, yes, have you thought of? You just listen. And it's so hard for three minutes to be so quiet. We all want to say something. Um, so I definitely don't want to say that we've got it all figured out. Um, it's something that we've been implementing for um, about a year now, which naturally had to stop in, in COVID. Um, but definitely we are trying um, the whole ABCD approach where we say to communities, can we see the glasses are full and not half empty? Um, where we actually say to them, we're going to step back and um, we we will guide, for example, like maybe act as a facilitator where we'll open, lead conversations, but you must do the talking. And if I can share a very powerful example for me was in one of our communities in Pietrasville in the Northern Cape. This was, I'll never forget it. It was on the 5th of March. I will never even forget it where we we got the educators. So um, by educators, whether it's teachers from um, the SGB or from ECD practitioners, we got them in a room and we said to them, let's talk. Um, we're not going to have an agenda, but like, Basically, our objective was to know just three things, what's working, what's not working, and um, what now. So just those three things and how we achieve that, whether it's in focus groups, whether it's in open plan discussion, but um, how do we achieve that? And we said that we don't have time limits. So um, the biggest small thing to learn is that if you're going to rush and say, I need to catch a flight or I need to answer emails or I've got another call at 8 p.m., etc., not going to work in your community. So you have to um, not have any time restrictions. We actually sat for nearly five hours where we in our mind only planned two and we just kept talking and talking and talking and it was in such a beautiful manner um, where the, the teachers would even say, no, I must quickly phone home to say I'm not coming home for supper. Um, and the, and you know what we did? We did small things where we made sure we had extra catering. So they were taking a bit of the food home <laughs> um, to, to be, okay, yes, at least supper when I come. And small things, we're talking of sandwiches, yeah, etc. So nothing like really elaborate. Um, but so I, I really, with my hand on my heart, feel that I am creating that environment. Um, definitely don't have it all figured out. We get to communities where they say that, no, we don't want to talk. You just tell us, you know. So um, it's not all perfect in this beautiful road ahead. Um, it's definitely um, worth its challenges. And communities are so used to being told what to do that it's often even for them a mind sh shift change they're so used to the one used this powerful word saying that we so um development fatigue especially in areas where where there's lots of ipps or mines or other funders where they're like no please i don't want to hear another community needs assessment like so we're really trying to do different approaches where um, yeah, it's not this formal community needs assessment, but where we call it our stakeholder engagement forums, where we take in that and mm. yeah, long mm. answer, but um, yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah. So rich, amazing. And you connected so many elements between theory and practice and, you know, even the history of what people sit with in terms of experiences and what it means to 
um, advise or inform how to how to develop leadership or, or how to how to forge a, a way forward together mm, about respect and. Mm. If I could also share just thinking, Mahala, I like this. It's my words, wounded communities and wounded individuals um, where, where people are so angry and wounded about things in their life that it's like they can't even see like um, this is the solution. And we as development practitioners, it's hard work. It's emotional. It's draining. I've been told just sit down. It's a small, which is like you're a small child. I like, just sit down, go call your boss. Like you're a small child. Um, and it's difficult, um, but you just have to keep going and going and yeah, dig into that in a in a place and it's very important I've also found to have somebody with you that compliments you so in my example it's really my colleague Lux because um, we have as we we our energies are similar so when I'm down then she takes over and vice versa and we compliment each other because um, she can't speak Afrikaans and I can um, but then she speaks Corsa and I can't so I found that also making sure you have the right mix in a team um, also it creates an enabling environment where you both understand that um, it's like we're both not going to answer emails, we're both not going to answer the phone, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel really uh, inspired by your progressive approach to relationship building and engagement and I think like your humanity um, and it speaks to this idea that it takes a really special person to you know, be resilient and run with it and just show up. Mm-hmm. Maybe to close, we've got this really long-winded question, which I like to read, but please feel free to respond <laughs> in any way. Okay. <laughs> it goes as followed. What support is needed to sustain a reflective social practice with integrity and authenticity in this day and time and at the interface of private and public interest and at the call phase of the energy transition? So, so, heavy questions, I read it, and then the academic student in me tries to break it down into pieces, and then my first um, reflection was like, you're the last, but cold face energy transition, etc. So, my homework is, was that, like, sure, I need to read a bit more up on this. Um, and I think if, I'm going to answer it in lots of different ways, so please bear with me. But just if I reflect on the support for the last bit, is that, um, I definitely do think for myself, and it reflects a bit on the earlier point that I mentioned that I feel as development practitioners that I'm very clued up um, about, let's say, development theory, etc., sustainability, but I don't actually know enough about renewable energy, you know, like I don't know enough about um I know the basics, of course, um, but I don't know enough, like even about the energy transition, about coal, and all I just know is that miners in Mpumalanga in the coal mine, something, something. <laughs> I'm just trying to be very authentic with you. Um, so I definitely feel that as a step one, um, like for development practitioners, that we should know more about renewable energy and the different, like, for example, the energy, just energy transition, um, because I found for me personally that that is a weakness. Um, and even with the rest of my team, besides one colleague, and just because she works on the global platform, so she's exposed to it. So I'm not saying that I want to be a guru on it, but I definitely think that is the support that could help me to be more 
um to i don't know what's the word but to be more comprehensive in like so it's like i have now understanding of the social the development but now i understand renewable energy because often when we talk about the reap you know we only talking in platforms about the sed the ed for example the trust the community aspects a bit of procurement but i'm always missing that like the, the, the engineering if that's the correct but the o&m but etc um Sure, then when it comes to um, be having the integrity and sure. Okay, actually, let me go a step back. Um, I'm going to share from a session that I had um, last week where we were discussing how different models um, apply like renewable energy and how in renewable energy, sorry, in SED, ED and what we apply. And they were saying they also look at ABCD. But they weren't experts at it. And then they got experts to guide them. And I feel that often, if I'm reflective about my journey thus far, is that everything is self-taught. Um, so I've never been in a space where it's like, let's unpack what is ABCD, for example. What does the theory say and how do we take that theory and implement it? Um, can it even be implemented? Um, I've learned things from my personal studies. Um, I often feel that in the space we all have strategies, theories. Um, sure, in terms of, of being authentic, um, I definitely think that's a personal introspection a personal journey and it's a really difficult one for me to answer and i can maybe share with you what i've tried to do with my team so my my team is clos which is the community liaison officers is that i've tried to build with them their or it's, it's a tongue twister for me their authenticity if i'm saying it correctly <laughs> so so, for example, um, one of them is like similar. She's a literally similar to me. Is like loud and always raising her opinion, and she felt that she wasn't allowed to do that with people who are above me. So, for example, like with my manager, etc. And I sp like spend lots of time with her, like trying to like just. I don't want to say trainer, but guided to be like, for example, you can still be authentic, but you just do it in a respectful way, you know, um, and it's something that you also earn. So you can't just be like, I disagree with you. I disagree with you. You know, it's like you need to have your respect as well. So I definitely think um, the leadership in a company and the support function in a company plays a massive, massive, massive role um, in terms of how can you be authentic? How can you improve? your your social practice and it links back to what i was saying earlier is that if you in a space where you're not listened to um or you can't raise your opinion it makes it very very difficult um so when i reflected on that question for me it was like sure a lot of different emotions um and um in terms of the public private sure that's also it's 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 not impossible um, but I also think it leads to personalities because when I reflect on the IPP office and the team there, um, I think that I personally gel with them because they've also given me that platform where I can be a bit myself. They've also created that platform where we can laugh and we can talk, but then we get to serious business. And I really respect that from them a lot where it's not like this formal thing. When I reflect on the on the 
on the public i always think of just the ipp office and those few individuals and the powerful role i think that they also show up like tuli is always there tuli is always participating she's always um attending things and from for me i really really appreciate that like um from the public sector from their perspective really really there is a long answer so i'm going to pause there i can i could answer more and more <laughs> You've really beautifully alluded to the, um, all the, the, the complexity, I want to say, but the richness, the industry holds, but also what it means to be a social practitioner, social performance practitioner, economic development professional in the renewable sector. It's just like so many different skills and some of them you can be trained or, you know, study, but others just have yes. to really come from within yourself. And as you mentioned, the, the wounded communities, wounded individuals there is a lot of healing every one of us obviously has to do and collectively as well but what you have healed that saying what you have healed it's it's almost your responsibility to help other people heal there's such a powerful opportunity in the work we do and it sounds like you're doing it in such beautiful ways yeah definitely and i think if i can just I'll be very quick just on one reflection for me um and it comes from like yesterday i was actually interviewed by a master student um in oxford um and he was asking me it was a difficult question which i really like i didn't know how to answer um was he was asking me about like the impact and saying that like what makes communities angry like why do they perhaps not believe in reap like put yourself in their shoes and when i really reflected on it um is that i think something that is so difficult is that if i should stand up in a community and say we spend in the past four years six million rand on a program and i don't even know what to tell them in terms of what is the impact being of that program and i mean that's a whole other mne discussion but i also think like that is a, a flaw in the industry is that we perhaps don't have the correct tools to report or we're not trained on the tools because like my first re reaction would, would have been like I trained 10,000 people but that's an output that's not talking about as a result of those 10,000 people being trained x amount got jobbed this impacted how many um, households how many kids were you know like all that ripple ripple effect and I'm not sure if it's the correct word saying like the social return of investment but I think that that is something that even that I grapple with is and that's where my currently right right like now is my my hump in my my job right now is that when i'm asked like even in covid it's like okay let's say we put x amount of beds or ppe what's the impact been and i'm like i don't know i don't even know how to start measuring it because you have to put the things in the in the tools in place in the beginning of it you know upfront apply your mind um, so I think definitely for me that is, and I know different things are happening in the industry. I know even the IPP office is talking to people, etc. So I know in the background things are happening, but I definitely think that's an area of support, um, specifically just M&E, to understand like what is M&E, um, how do we measure it? And I don't even want to go on the level of, of other IPPs, but even internally, um, first understanding it before even talking about including others. Yeah. Thank you so much. I can talk for you. <laughs>
<laughs> which, which is such an incredible opportunity to have you for an entire hour captured <laughs> or an entire yes. um, half an hour captured on this podcast. <laughs> wow. Bianca, thank you so much for all you've shared with the questions you raised and with the beautiful insights. Yeah. Thanks, Bianca, for such a rich conversation. Um, I'm sure, yeah, this will be so valuable for anyone listening. Thank you so much. And thank you for bearing with me. And I also personally just want to thank you for also creating that space, a space where I could say that I'm not in the best mindset this morning. I feel rushed, etc. So thank you for that. So you also... Um, allowed me to be in a safer place so thank you for that Bianca took us into her upbringing her work her observations in the space and how she navigates her role she speaks about the importance of personal development as a backbone of any social practice and she also reflects on the difficulties of creating impact that is seen and felt her heart is in it so so much in this episode I refer to Alison who will be our next guest on this podcast. 